Thank you, worship team. Hey, how you guys doing? All right. So earlier this summer, my refrigerator broke. This isn't the start of a joke. So if, it is, if you thought it was, you're going to be disappointed. Earlier this summer, my refrigerator broke. And so we're replacing my refrigerator. We're moving it out. And as things go, as we move the refrigerator out, we rip the linoleum because with me, nothing can ever be easy. So now I have a ripped floor. So we get the new refrigerator, but I still have to replace the floor. And and Larry Millspaw, I probably shouldn't even tell you because now you're going to ask him to help you. He can't. He's too busy. But Larry said he would help me. And as we go to replace the linoleum, of course, nothing ever because of me. If there's something that can break, I seem to always break it. Technologically, I'm not advanced. And just in life, and I don't think I have bad luck because it's not like terrible things happen. It's just... I'm not good with fixing things. I'm not a fixer. And um, so just when things need to be fixed, I'm just in trouble. I'm at a loss. And so we had a couple of struggles, but we get the, uh, we get the new tile all laid. So we went from linoleum to tile. And in the long run, it made the house much better. Now I have nice tile. It's ceramic. But then course, because you've laid something thicker and you had to lay back. Now I have about a one inch gap between the floor and the floor next to it. And there's all these other things that once you do that, and then naturally, what happens next? You look at your entryway and go, well, this doesn't match that at all. I got to change this too. And so I've got another project for Larry once he's finally done traveling for the summer. But these changes... Sometimes that's how life is. It's, it's like we're almost forced to make a change. We didn't want to change. It was really a forced change. You say, well, couldn't you live with linoleum? No, because in the middle of the night, I'm going to trip on it, break my toe, and then where am I going to be? In a bigger mess. And so it took time. It took energy. It took money. It took effort. But all of these things prompted the change. But here's some of the things that happened in that process. First off, I didn't go through it alone. I didn't. I had help. I had support. I asked questions. I talked to other people that I knew that did this kind of stuff. I borrowed tools because I wanted to get it done right. Again, I I already mentioned this, but the time, the effort, the money, we put all that in because that's what it takes to do things correctly. Change takes time. It takes effort on our part. But if we want to see lasting results in our life, then that's critical. And then during this process, it brought up and showed me other things I need to change, such as my entryway and probably eventually the bathrooms, which is then going to take more time and more money and more effort. But it also creates in you a desire to see other things change. Change is inevitable. And as we talk about navigating change over the next three more weeks, I want you to understand that It's critical for your spiritual walk to understand that things are going to change. But change is a natural part of the growth process. You have a beautiful baby, whether it's yours or a niece, a nephew, a neighbor's, a friend's, and you look at this thing, and it's this nice little seven-pound, eight-ounce bundle of joy, which is awesome. And if it stays that way, then you got problems. Three years later, if it's still seven pounds, eight ounces, you're doing something wrong. 
you better see a doctor. Maybe don't even wait three years. I don't know. Give it a year and a half. If nothing changes, go see a doctor then. I don't know how often they're supposed to see a doctor when they're babies. But at some point, you go see a doctor and say, hey, this thing's not growing. Or maybe you named it. I don't know. <laughs> but you take it in there and you, you recognize. And sometimes we don't recognize how desperately we need change until it's forced upon us. My linoleum was pretty ugly. It was probably 10 years old when I moved in the house. I've been there five years, and I'm like, eh. <laughs> then we lifted it up, or covered it up, and I was like, wow, this kitchen isn't nearly as ugly as I thought it was. Sometimes change is forced upon us. Other times, it's just the natural course of life. Again, the baby grows, and they start kindergarten, and you see them less. And then they start junior high, and they're in their room, and they're mad at you all the time. Then they start high school, and you're excited because they become pleasant again. And then they graduate, and it's time to send them out, and you're like, that's just starting to like them. <laughs> and yet, that's what we do. We are called as people to train and equip, and the same thing is true of you. You're called to grow as a person. And growth is not always easy. And I'm going to talk about, as we get into September, I'm going to talk about our vision and our mission. Because the whole reason we navigate change is so that we can fulfill what God has called us to. By staying in the same place and staying stagnant, we are not going to do what God has called us to do. And some of you are going through massive just life changes right now, situational changes. But others of us, we're really comfortable where we're at, and I'd rather just stay there comfortable. Sometimes it's easier to just wait, but the world around you is changing. And if we aren't adapting then we're not going to be prepared for what God has for us as individuals. Now see, I'm always thinking about what does God have for us corporately, but also what does God have for you individually. Me becoming your pastor has taken a point in your life and stretched some of you. It just is. It's a stretching process. I'm different than whoever was your pastor before. I am. I tell a lot more stories and I used to feel bad about that. And then somebody that was not a believer, that wasn't in church, they were asking me about church. And I was like, well, I kind of tell stories. He goes, oh, like Jesus. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's what Jesus did. So now suddenly this non-believer helped me understand. But it's still, it's a stretch and it's a change. And maybe you went to another church and you went there for years and things were beautiful and you loved it. Or maybe you never had that positive experience and you're looking for that. Maybe you found this church because you moved and you're new to the area. Or maybe you've gone here your whole life and can't imagine going anywhere else. But it's constant change. And some people are like, I like our church. I don't want it to change. I've had people say, I like our church. We keep doing all these things and new people are going to come. Yes. Yes, that's the desired outcome, is to see new people come. Not so that we become the biggest, but so that we impact our community with the greatest impact. And so navigating change is hard because it brings up feelings and emotions. Acts chapter 26. Paul shares of his conversion. This isn't the story. This is Paul's sharing it later. Luke wrote this book. And Luke writes it from a very analytical point of view. Luke is a historian and a physician. He's a physician by trade and a historian because he loves history and he writes it down. We know from apocryphal, outside the Bible writings, that Luke actually wrote several other historical books about what was happening 
in Israel. Israel has an official historian, but Luke is a doctor who just likes writing things down. Almost a guy who keeps a diary or a journal every day, and he's writing down what he's experienced. Luke is fascinated by the Christian movement, so he starts to write it. So he's writing about Paul from Paul's perspective or point of view. So that's where we're at. Acts 26, starting in verse 9, and it says, Indeed, I myself thought I must do things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And, and then they were put to death. I have cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them as far as foreign cities. And while thus occupied, in other words, while he was doing this, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests at midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from the heaven, brighter than the sun, shining all around me, and those who journeyed with me as well. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me, saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Verse 16. But rise, stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen of the things I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order for them to turn from darkness to light from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance amongst those who are sanctified by faith in me. All right, so you have this guy named Paul and he's been charged by the very leaders of the synagogue to kill or imprison anybody who opposes what we're teaching. And what they're teaching is that a Messiah will someday come. They're teaching the Old Testament scripture, but they don't believe in Jesus. So basically, anybody who believes in Jesus, you've been empowered and given the authority to put in prison where they will then be executed. Because they're put in prison, that way they can choose to recant and turn from that if they want before they're executed. That gives them time to think about it. And Paul says, this was my job. And then suddenly I'm traveling and I have this bright light. It blinds him. And now Paul is a, Saul is a different person. He even changes his name to Paul after that experience. And the conversion is so drastic, it changes his life. It changes the life of the early church. And it, it becomes part of the formation of the New Testament as a whole. See, it's not just Paul that's impacted here. Because it tells us that after he gains his sight, he begins to preach to the people that are around him right there. But see, Paul's not always liked. Change is not always easy. The religious leaders hated Paul because he was one of them, and suddenly he's not doing what we want. They want to kill Paul. They call for his execution. Several times he's in prison. The problem is he's also a Roman citizen. We talked about that a little while back when we talked about Paul's life, that whether it's through his dad's occupation or whatever, they're a Jewish family of some renown who are also Roman citizens. Which means you can't just do whatever you want because the entire Roman Empire is controlled. But you didn't just get Roman citizenship. You either had to be literally born in Rome or purchase it. Or be granted it because you mattered to the kingdom. 
So all the outlying areas, those aren't Roman citizens. Rome controls them, and as long as you don't do anything that bugs us, we let you do your own day-to-day business. But then with Paul, he's a Roman citizen, so they can't do anything to him. But they still, they put him in prison, he gets out. They take him to trial, he's released. He's several times beaten. He's attacked. At one point, they sneak him out of the city, over the city wall, in a basket. This is not the change most of us want to see. Most of us don't want to go from a position of power, authority, and influence to a position of hiding in a basket and hoping we don't get killed that day. Paul has some sudden change. Paul is experiencing the cost of those change. The early believers, they question it. They don't want to go around him because they think it's a trick. They know that he's about to trap him. They know of him killing Stephen just a few chapters earlier. Actually, though, he didn't actually kill him. He just watches the coats while the other people do it. So, really, is he really guilty? He's just a coat watcher. Although he does later on say, yeah, it was me. I was the one, and I voted for his execution. That's the guy we're dealing with. The one who votes for the execution of the people that you're having supper with the night before. The people that you're worshiping with on the Sabbath. The early believers don't want to fall for the trap. So eventually he goes to Jerusalem, where he and Peter have serious disagreements with one another. Peter's the one apostle willing to meet with them. And they disagree. They don't believe in his conversion. They don't believe that he's changed. He's out there telling people he's changed, so people are trying to kill him, and yet the other people that are believers are like, don't come around us. Paul's conversion has forced him into rapid change, and now he's got to navigate that. And sometimes that's what life does to us. Sometimes we're just cruising along, and we hit something, and everything changes. This past week, I hit a deer. It was sad. Some of you know that I'm a hunter, but it was very sad for me to hit a deer. I've been driving for, I don't know, a couple of years. I don't know how long I've been driving, since I was 17 when I got my license, and I've never hit a deer. I grew up in Wisconsin. My dad has hit seven deer, I believe. My daughter's hit a deer. My mom's hit a deer. It's just what we do. (laughs) Every four or five years, you get a new car because you hit a deer and you totaled the last one. Three cars in a row, my dad got new because he had totaled his last one from hitting a deer. It was just kind of what we did. But I hit this deer this week. And it was a sudden and abrupt change of my day. (laughs) I'm just cruising along, and all of a sudden I'm like, there's a deer on the right. There's a deer in front of me. My son was with me, and we... Like, we break and we swerve, and we're like, did we hit it? And it's stumbling, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure we hit it. We move on. We get to where we're going. There's hair just covering the front of my car. Just brush it all off. That deer's day had a sudden collision and change, too. Sometimes that's what life is like. We're just cruising along. We're not even doing anything wrong. I was well within the speed limit on a well-marked road during the day. It was like 11.30 in the morning. I'm like, what are you even doing out? You should be deep within the woods. It's your own fault. <laughs> we go through all those things, and then I feel, oh, that's so sad, though. What a sad way to die. And then I go through the logical side of me. What a waste of meat. Perfectly good deer, and it's just wasted. 
And I'm having all these conversations with my son who's just like, silent. (laughs) But that's what happens. Sometimes life is going great. It's a sunny day. And suddenly we just hit something. Sometimes we're going through a terrible storm. And we think we're going to make it through. And on the other side of that storm, it ends in divorce. It ends in death. It ends in struggle. We're like, but God, I prayed. I called out, God, where are you? In the midst of the storm, I need peace. And yet, things didn't work out the way I want. Paul spends 14 years learning and growing. He goes to Jerusalem, and then it says, after his original visit, it's 14 years before he goes out to minister again. Now, it says he's preaching where he's at. He's doing what he needs, but then he goes on his missionary journeys. During that time, he's working a job, he's learning, he's growing, he's meeting with other believers, he's talking with other people, he's exchanging correspondence. But it's leading to something. The change happened, we think, instantaneous. We love the writings of Paul. Most of our New Testament is made up of it. But you forget, all through this, he's growing and developing and becoming who God created him to be. Yes, he preaches the day after his conversion, and he's baptized immediately, but then he sits and he learns for 14 years. For 14 years, he trained and equipped and studied. And it's the old, oh, guy was an instant overnight success. And they forget that for 10 years, that guy labored and hammered away at whatever, at his skill or his craft. People talk about how Sometimes they'll mention Justin Bieber. You know, he's just a 24-year-old kid who doesn't know what he's doing. I'm like, yeah, you try to be a billionaire at age 16 and see how you do. You can't even wrap your head around it. You think you can't. Oh, I wouldn't do that. You have no idea what you'd do. I knew kids that weren't nearly as rich as him that did just as stupid of things. In my youth group, and I was like, what were you thinking? Oh, yeah, you're 16. You weren't. So, they... He's an overnight success that worked and struggled. You know, Justin Bieber was seven when he first went on the road. That's right, seven years old, he left home. He was an opening act for artists. Seven years old, there's pictures of him carrying his guitar. The guitar is bigger than him. He worked for a lot of years before he had his instant success. And then we curse him because we don't like the way he does things. But you can't imagine it. You can't imagine what Paul's going through in first century church where he doesn't have a community that wants to support him because they're scared of him. He's had an encounter with God and he wants to be like Jesus and he wants to tell people, but people don't want to listen. And even the ones willing to listen, he knows that he can be executed for telling them. Sometimes in our life, even when God is in the midst of it, change is hard. Even when God's right there, it's difficult and things aren't what you want. And you've worked and you've strived and you've tried to do what God wanted you to. And yet it seems like every time I look, every day there's another storm hitting me. Every day there's something coming against me. And you're not alone. From our first case where we have a radical extreme conversion, we see he goes through the same thing. People don't like him in the church. People don't trust him that are going to the church. Those outside the church are uncertain about them, and the leaders of the church want to execute them. It's quite the life. Navigating change takes time, takes effort, and it takes growth on our part. 
The question is, am I willing to put in the effort to achieve what God wants to do in my life? And not achieve in the sense of, oh, God's going to like me more, but in the sense of God created you for a plan and a purpose, and he looked at you from the beginning of time, and he wants you to be somebody, and yet you are sinful by nature, and you're always going to go back to that old sin, and change is hard and takes time, and it's easier to just get where I'm comfortable and stay there. And yet God is saying, I have more for you. I have something greater for you, greater for you, greater for your family, greater for those around you in your community who you're in relationship with, and you're going to be the catalyst that brings that about. But am I willing to do that? Because that comes through prayer. It comes through time in the Word. It comes through gathering together with other believers and getting on our face before God and saying, God, show us and teach us and help us to become. And we have a hard enough time getting people to come out for ice cream and games. How are we going to get people to come out for prayer? It's just honest. That's what I talk about with the staff. Okay, so we did this event, but I can only get three or four people to come out for prayer. What do we do? And yet, we say we want to change. We say we want to grow, but it's hard. Next week, I'm going to talk about the, some of the difficulties that you and I are going to face. I talked about some of the ones Paul's going to face. I'm going to talk next week specifically about difficulties you and I are going to face if we really want to change. Because it's going to take effort on our part. And it's not about doing something so that we become more acceptable to God. You are loved and acceptable and chosen by God. But it's so that we can become all that he created us to be. Because God created you for something so much more than what you can imagine right now. And we get stuck in this place where this is what I am and this is what I do. Even sometimes it's down to, well, this is the ministry I lead. When I've left churches that I've been at before, it's always difficult to say goodbye, but I always believe God was calling me to something. Too oftentimes, we don't want to listen when God is calling us to something. Because that's really hard. It's really difficult. Because it means... We're going to have to go through change. What personal adjustments are you going to have to make if you really want to navigate change in your life? What are you going to have to change? What habits, what patterns, what lifestyle choices? What are you going to have to change? When the prayer team comes up here in just a minute, I want to invite you to come up. Because some of us see things that need to change, and we know it. We know we need to be more committed. We need to be more connected. We need to be more this. Or maybe there's just something going on in your family, in your marriage, in your life today, and you need prayer. Maybe it's you just need wisdom for something. Have the courage to take that first step to come forward and be prayed for. You say, but Jeff, I came up four weeks ago, and I came up six weeks ago, and I don't want them to just think that I'm just a one. I'm telling you right now. If you come up every week and pray for the same thing, I don't see it as lack of faith. I see it as continuing to say, I'm going to continue to seek what God has for me. We're going to continue to seek, and we're going to continue to seek that together. When we get to, um, when we do our Thursday night prayers, when we start that in the fall again, I want to encourage you to come out for that. Every week we have pre-service prayer, 9-15. Commit to once a month. You choose a Sunday and say, one Sunday a month I'm going to be there, 9-15 to 9-45. Because we believe 
that if we're going to change, if we're going to grow, and we're going to become who God created us to be as individuals, as well as as a corporate body, then we have got to get together and we have got to pray through that. I walk around this place and I pray. Sometimes one day a week, sometimes four days in a row. Sometimes I do one lap, sometimes I'll be in here for an hour. Sometimes Jen will come in and say, Jeff, there's a phone call, can you take a phone call right now? And sometimes I'll say yes and sometimes I'll say, can't. Because I'm walking around here praying. And I, sometimes people are like, what do you pray for? To be honest, I don't know. But I go, God, you got to do something. Because we cannot stay the same. Because if we stay the same, we're going to be ineffective, outdated, and we're not going to change our world around us for you. And the one thing I won't do is just sit and be comfortable. I won't become complacent. I'm not going to change the world, I know that, but I know the one that can. And I'm going to call on him to use us to be an impact to the world around us. People sometimes will come and they'll, if they look in the window, they just see me, what is he doing? <laughs> I have to walk when I pray. I pray over the instruments. I pray over the chairs. I pray for people. I open my directory and just go down. Because I know that people have stuff going on in their life and God wants to do something. And I believe that me vocalizing that on your behalf, I can't do a lot for you as a pastor but I can go to God on your behalf. I want to see us change, and I want to see us change, not just for the sake of change, but I want to see us change to become who God created us to be in the first place. The only thing in life, the only constant in life is change. I read that quote to you last week. I'll probably read it again next week. Because we're going to face it. So let's be a people who navigate change well so that we can impact the world around us. Father God, I thank you for this day and I thank you for your love and grace. Show us more of who you are. Help us to prepare for the change that's ahead that we know and that we don't. And help us to become more like you in the process. In your name, amen. I told you one of my greatest joys in life is a baby dedication. It really is. It's one of my favorite things to do. Um, as a pastor, I love to see this baby being brought. One of the hardest things I do, harder than funerals, in my opinion. A funeral, I've already dealt with my grief by the time it's done, but one of the hardest things I do is say goodbye to our students. And over the fall, every fall, people are like, why don't you do that all in one week? Because I want to say goodbye to students. I want them to know they matter. So can you come on up here, Mac? We're going to pray for Mac. She's leaving this week. Wow, they want you out of here. Listen to them clapping for you going. Um, I love this girl. I love who she is, and I love who she is in our church, what God's doing in her life. I've known her just a couple years, and yet she's impacted me greatly. And she's getting ready to go to the University of New Mexico. And um, I know we'll say goodbye to other students in the next few weeks, and sometimes they come home for summer, and sometimes they never come back. I know that. But she's not ours to hold on to. She's God's to hold on to. 
and she's ours to raise, train, equip, and send out. So we're going to pray for Mac today. If you guys would just kind of reach your hands out, and we'll pray together. God, I just thank you for McKenna and who she is. I thank you for her love for you, her passion for you. I thank you, God, that she discovered our church. I thank you, God, that you changed her life through that. You've changed her course. You've changed her eternity because she connected with you in a real way. I pray for safety and protection over her as she goes to college. I pray for wisdom as she makes decisions and choices for her future. I pray that you would open her heart to what you have for her to receive that. And God, I pray that she would find a community of believers to encourage her in her faith, to challenge her in her faith, to help her grow in her faith, and that she can know without a doubt, unconditionally, of your love for her and our love for her as a congregation. In your name, amen. Love you. So say goodbye to Mac. This is her last Sunday with us. Um, Over the next few Sundays, I get to do this over and over again. Every time it gets me. Because I know that it's not our job to hold on. You know, when I sent my daughter out from her home a few years ago, I knew that she would probably never live with us again. And there's a good chance, since we only lived here one year of her growing up years, I knew there was very little chance she'd end up back here. You know, her home was San Diego, because that's where she spent most of her life. And I just figured that's where she'd end up. She didn't. She ended up in the desert and loves it. But when you send them out, remember, our job as parents and our job as a church is to raise and equip them to send them where God wants them next. It's not our job to grab and hold on. Birds who grab their babies and just hold them down in the nest end up smothering their baby. That bird's job is to get it up and get it flying so that it can go do what it was created to do, which is live the life of a bird. Our job is to raise them up and equip them so that they go out into a world that's dangerous and scary, but they are prepared and equipped to love Jesus, to love others simply because they exist, and to show the world who God is. Prayer team, if you guys would come on up. Anybody who would like prayer, uh, the prayer team will be on kind of on both sides. I would just invite and encourage you, come and receive prayer today for anything going on in your life. But if you're one who said, Jeff, I'm just resistant to change. I don't want change no matter what the reason is. I want you to pray because I believe that we're in a season right now, and I don't know what that means. But what I think it means, just personally as I've prayed through it, is I think we're going to see an influx of people who don't know God or who don't know God well and who are immature in their spirituality. And it's going to push your buttons and it's going to press you because that's always hard. New Christians are really sometimes hard because they do things we don't like and they don't know our rituals and our traditions. And though we're not caught up in a lot of liturgy, we still do things a certain way. And it's going to be messy. And are we going to be prepared for the messiness? That's why I'm speaking on on change right now through August and in September and October, I'm going to talk about our vision and our mission because I believe we need to hear again why we exist that we don't exist for the joy of ourselves. We do things together because we're a family. As a family, we do Super Bowl party. Really, that's not like a public event. We just, come on, if you want to bring a friend, go ahead, but it's a family event. And then we do things that have nothing to do with our family. Easter egg hunt, Halloween event. Those things are because we care about our community. But I believe that we're going to see in the next few months, we're going to see an influx of people 
And I believe it's going to challenge us, but if we're prepared for the change, I believe that we're going to see God do incredible things through us. So, thanks for being here. Sorry if today at the end was a bummer. I'm a little teary. (laughs) I love you all, and I will see you next week.